Hello and welcome to another episode of Once Upon a Time in Some Guy's Parents' House. This is Mike, your presenter, and with me are two fine gentlemen, and dare I say it, friends, Rob and Jules. How are you both today? Speak first, Rob. Yeah, okay. Because you're, you're It's Rob. me. Oh, right. Your yes. name is the first. You I'm fine. First. I'm fine. I'm good. And today we're going to be talking about uh, a new film by uh, first-time director Drew Pierce, Hotel Artemis. This is a film which is, uh, in case you somehow missed this movie, it is a <laughs> film uh, with Jodie Foster which is set in a near future uh, Los Angeles where there are widespread riots uh, due to a shortage of water in which Jodie Foster plays the role of a nurse who runs a somewhat secretive, um, shady, patch-up shop uh, hospital for uh, criminals who are injured. Uh, they come to her and if they are members of the club they can get in and they can receive treatments uh, safe from the police and uh, the rest of the outside world. So I'm going to start with Jules. Jules. Ah. Usual format. Tell me something you liked and then something you didn't like about Hotel Artemis in whichever of those orders you'd like. Okay well no this is this is easy because this is a film that if I had to give it a title it would be something like Hotel Artemis. It's 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 but it isn't I didn't think it was a bad film, but I didn't think it was a great film. And I'd say one of the definite positives, like one thing I did really like about this film, so I'll begin, I'll begin on a night before I go ranting, uh, I'll go into a positive, is I thought the, the story world it created was really, really interesting. It was a very interesting vision of the future. It took a really interesting take on sort of the zeitgeist by, because um, it's set with the, as we said about the with these sort of these LA water riots, taking the, water, the, uh, the LA riots from the 90s and sort of, sort of imposing it on a future context where it is sort of commercial, much more commercial future where the water is owned by corporations and the poor are rioting over it. And it, it's something that I thought was an, it was an interesting choice for a story world. Yeah. And um, the actual vision of the hospital is it's this sort of grimy, sort of noiry, sort of cyberpunk, yeah. but it isn't like... Mm. It doesn't look like it's trying to just do a version of Blade Runner, like a lot Ghost of these in the do, shell or Ghost in the Shell. Like yes. It's got a very original look and design to the world, and it's an interesting concept. But the the flaw, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. It's just, I don't think it was executed very well. I think it was kind of kind of dull. And mm. it had a lot of promise, a lot of promise in the ideas. Uh, but it just failed to do them in a way that I thought made an entertaining film. It's can I can I pin you yes, down and ask you for course. a specific thing, even even if it is about the execution that you that you didn't think worked? Why don't you think this film well, worked? Well, two major things come to mind. One is the protagonists, just like well, one I'm not entirely sure who's even meant to be the protagonist. Whether it's meant to be Jodie Foster, yeah. or oh, is it Sterling K. Brown? That's the name the, of the actor. Yes, the, he the was actor. playing Tai Tai Waikiki Tai Kiki, something like that. Waikiki. I, I got a little confused by the names. Yes, in this I film. think so. Yeah, because all of the yeah. all of the criminals who come in for treatment are named after the suite that they're staying in in Hotel Artemis. Oh, so okay. yeah. his brother, it's uh, Sterling K. Brown's brother, is the one who's actually really injured. So yes. he and he's in Suite Honolulu. So he's Honolulu, mm. and because uh, Sterling K. Brown, his brother, is with him, he gets another sort of Hawaiian name, which I think was Waikiki or Taikiki, um, with him, whereas some of our other characters are in in Acapulco or in Nice. uh, Nice. Uh, and so that, that's how they're known through this through this film. Oh, I totally missed that. Yeah. So I totally missed there are a lot of things you could miss. Yeah, there was a lot of things I probably missed. I think it's a very dense... As I said, this is the thing, the story one. Yeah, the details were really well executed, very well realised. But the... Well, I've got to go back to the protagonist thing. Yeah. It's, it starts with Sterling K. Brown's... Um, 
uh, he, they, 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 they do a heist. It's him and his brother, and they perform a heist. It goes poorly. They need to get patched up. Yes. I mean, it's, it's a good setup. It's yep. a good it's setup. A really, I was really clean. I was straight in at the first. I was yep. like, okay, this is this is interesting. This is going to interesting places. Yep. Um, and then it jumps to where they need to go to get patched up. They've got Hotel Artemis, and it starts. It's Jodie Foster, and she's beginning her regular day as the nurse that patches up criminals. Which another, I think, yeah. another Wednesday. Yes. She keeps another saying, Wednesday. Yeah. And I, you know, and I think that's a really interesting concept. This idea of. Uh, a doctor, someone, a medical professional, they've got a Hippocratic oath, they've got to do what's right by the patient, but they're treating criminals. Yes. It's like there, there could be a really interesting conflict there. But it feels like it has a bit of a fractured protagonist, because I'm never sure if I'm follow, meant to be following her character through things, if she is the one that's uh, guiding events, whether it's her character that arcs, or whether it's his character. And the movie's yes. structured in this very messy sort of... It's more like it's full of subplots. And this kind of leads into my other problem, which is with the pacing, because... What it did all these subplots is it meant the first sort of the two first two acts um, were just felt like nothing but set up for a third act that I don't think paid it off very well at all. It's interesting to say that because rushed. there's an interview I read with the yeah. director uh, Pierce, and um, he said that the actual film has more of a two act structure. I was wondering. That's interesting. Does that ever work? Is, it, is there ever a situation where a two-act structure can work? Well, that doesn't even really have a two... I mean, plays. A two-act structure mm. is, what you would use, uh, is what you would use in a, a short play, but two-acts plays, the sort of thing David Mamet would do frequently, they tend to be about 45 minutes long mm. because you can't really do that over... I mean, even though this film is this film is quite short, it's about 90 minutes. I was yes. very surprised mm. when it ended. I was thinking... When it got to the point... Um, when it got to what felt to me, like, naturally, as if it would be the midpoint of a story... It was actually the end of Act 2, and they were just going into a final sort of, you know, last action scene to yeah. sort of resolve the plot. But it, I was thinking, already? Where mm. is this? He also compared it to a bit of an Agatha Christie, but I don't see any of the uh, mystery guess. element there. I felt that this did have exactly that kind of structure, that the film was really going for um, pot-boiler, chess-piece um, thriller, where you have... All of the, only the, the pieces that you need. You've got this really quite small cast who are in this contained space. All of them have their motivations, which are sometimes transparent to the audience from the beginning and sometimes revealed to us mm. as they go. And then the ideal scenario for this film is that organically everything leads up to a breaking point and then this carefully structured house of cards, this, this place which is very fragile anyway, it needs these rules in place to just allow it to exist. Everything's going to come tumbling down at once and we're going to have this explosive climax between all of these different characters who have been brought into this situation together. Uh, and I thought that largely it set itself up quite well. I really liked the first hour, an hour 15 of this film. I just, I just thought it didn't really pay off in the end. I mean, I very rarely say this, but I thought this film could have been a bit longer. Yeah. I thought it needed 15 to 20 minutes to establish some of the plot lines so that they had a bit more importance to us. Hmm. Um, I don't know, what, what, did, what did you think, Rob? We haven't, we haven't heard from you yet. Uh, it is an impressively realised place to visit. Uh, rather than a story worth um, investing in. I think by the end of it you find that the character of the hotel is more of an interesting personality than those within it. Like the rules, for example. Yes. The rules of the hotel, we see them in like a second. We see yeah. them in the trailer for almost mm. the same amount of time as we do in the movie. In theory, um, most of those uh, rules sort of systematically contravened um, throughout the film. Yes. Charlie Day's character, yes. he's a lot, he has a lot of good uh, depth there. He's an insecure... Uh, rich guy, we kind of love to hate him. At one point he's almost satirising these characters that are just cool for cool's sake and they almost have this unearned quality where, you know, they're, they're famous 
uh, murderers or assassins or so on. And he's saying, well, why are you superior to me? The reason he's there, interestingly, isn't for a criminal reason. He has uh, some mistress of his that he wants to keep hidden has basically clawed his eye, but he would be able to walk into a normal hospital. He can mm. at least present the image of yeah. being a, a normal professional man, but he's choosing to go well, to Hotel the... Artemis because well, he the... doesn't want it to get out that yes. he has, has that he's had this uh, affair with this woman. Well, yeah, there like... a, there's a theme, I think, uh, which basically, I think the director has alluded to, which is basically the, the characters are uh, in cages of their own creation, essentially. Yes. Um, I de- definitely did get the sense of of people choosing to uh, to encase themselves, basically, in this place. Uh, yes, to not be and you do feel world. a kind of you're a relief once they're back inside the hotel, even though there's a lot of danger going on there. Well, there's some level of control uh, within the hotel. And it's, it's, it's the chaos on the outside and the yeah. controls on the inside, but of course the chaos is making its way in. It's, it's, the two worlds are colliding and her character isn't... You mentioned the budget as well, yes. which, yeah. um, as we know... Um, about fifteen million. Fifteen million dollars. Shot about thirty-two days. There are some wonderful establishing shots in it, and I, I sort of felt that a lot of the scenes were, were taking place for predominantly at the end of a long lens and quite close up into characters' grills. Sometimes I feel like, oh, that's just, is that a directorial choice sort of thing? And then I the found out, <laughs> yeah. And then I found out that basically they had an ACRAT camera set up to uh, to have the establishing wide shot, and then they had um, Chung Hoon Chung. Who's a Korean DOP? He's from uh, Old Boy, isn't that's he? That's right. He's, he's done quite a few of these. He was doing the Very B camera, cool, yeah. so um, that's possibly why. And uh, Drew was kind of asking Chung to to really push it, supposedly. But there weren't to push these these shots really close to people's faces. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what he means by push it, but um, I I realised it was actually more a case of uh, just a practical issue because although it is definitely a set, the hotel's a set. Uh, it was constructed like a building, so there aren't many. Um, walls that they can take away and right. Right. so these scenes are quite cramped and that's why quite a lot of the establishing shots are overhead shots right. basically because there just isn't enough room we don't get any of those sort of standout memorable sequences like in Old Boy where you've got this yeah. almost two dimensional tracking fight scene for example right. everything is quite close up um, and I was wondering oh, why is that but I think it's just because it's just haven't got much room the way basically. the set was constructed and, and because of the budget sense, well, it yeah. is impressive it's very impressive I would not 15, think that was yeah. made on 15 million it's, mm. especially considering it's got a really excellent cast I would think I would think that alone the members of the cast would command more than 15 million combined so it's surprising that to have an entire thing shot like that for 15 million and also it brought Jodie Foster, I think, out of her first film for about five years or something. I was thinking it had been mm. ages since yeah. I'd seen her. Underused actors. Yes. Jeff Goldblum in this film. Yes. Um, I had actually completely <laughs> forgotten that he was in it. He plays the, the Wolf King. The Wolf King. Who the, the, crime the, the crime boss of LA. Yeah, like, so he's, he's the guy who's running the whole thing. And when he emerges, it's Jeff Goldblum playing the Wolf King. And I thought, this is going to be great. And then he has two scenes and he's and well, we, we <laughs> took criminally underused. I had the complete opposite feeling going in because the one thing I knew about this film was that Jeff Goldblum was in it and you talk about the two act play structure yes. so you probably should rename this Waiting for Goldblum <laughs> nice <laughs> sorry niece yes I and, and he should be a very important part of this film but this and is, he just didn't have the impact that well, um, I'd argue this that, falls he, that it promises this falls into another problem with the film is it relates to the sort of the, the subplot thing is a lot of the storylines don't seem to affect one another and even though Okay, because I, I, the setup for the film is this high scale wrong, but they've stolen like those super expensive diamonds that they yes. don't realise belong to 
Jeff Goldblum's that's right. evil boss guy. So Sterling K. Brown's character, has, who is yes. who is one of the likable protagonists yes. of the film that we're meant to be rooting for, he has he essentially stole... inadvertently put himself in the crosshairs yes. of the Wolf King well, because that his brother has stolen uh, something very valuable. From which him. which is the the problem I have is like it sounds great on paper the idea of okay we've we've got good states he's got the thing that Jeff Goldblum's going to want and if he finds out he's got it he's going to kill him and he does horrible things I think he drowns people who steal from him it's it's not nice. But, we always forget about Goldblum, the MacGuffin, but don't Jeff we? Goldblum, his character, this whole thing with where he arrives at uh, Hotel Artemis, needing to be being patched up, has absolutely nothing to do with these diamonds. Yeah, and no, I mean the story. <laughs> it's one of these stories where if you took out Sterling K. Brown's character and the stealing of the diamonds from the entire plot, the story would have worked out exactly the same. One of the biggest problems I thought with this, with the story of this film, actually, mm. was the motivation for Jeff Goldblum to be there. <laughs> I actually found the paycheck. That, well, no, I, no, no. Jeff Goldblum's character, else. the Wolf King. I mean, I just didn't. I, so this was this was a slightly world-breaking moment for me, where I thought, why would the Wolf King need to go to Hotel Artemis to get patched up? I mean, at one point he says he runs the police. Is Hotel Artemis actually the best hospital in the city? I assumed it was just some shady back back secret place, which was good for a criminal who'd been shot. But that if you were actually a rich, um, you know, a, a successful and uh, mm. Legitimate businessman, you wouldn't go to Hotel Artemis. It feels this. This feels like a story that needed a few more extra redrafts. Yes. I think so. Yeah. I think it would have been much more interesting. If Jeff Goldblum's character had gone to Hotel Artemis because he was trying to find somebody yeah. else. Like who he was, was trying to get the diamonds, um, or he was trying to get the diamonds yeah. back. Also, the police cop character. Yes, she seems to be very super. She like much like Charlie Day's character. These these are characters that feel very superfluous to the whole plot. They're yeah. almost just there to break the rules. Yeah, and the rules are a, a nice conceit, but again, it would have been interesting like, if they'd use like, it somehow yeah because this is the thing she's constantly talking about Jodie Foster about how like every time she rules, breaks a rule it's kind of a and it's interesting the idea that breaking she's breaking a pledge of her own because she seems to, to break them breaking, all the time well not all the time she but to break them it's a good conflict but it doesn't really mean anything the whole place is, is I mean it's the whole place is only fragilely held together by these mm. rules I mean these these it, it's basically all of these very dangerous people who are together ten rules do you know why were they're they, were there ten, ten rules Ten Commandments? No, so it's uh, Artemis is uh, the uh, Greek goddess, of course, Zeus's yeah. daughter. She uh, had ten wishes uh, uh, for Zeus to grant her, essentially. Oh, I've written them down, but they, they, they don't actually ascribe uh, to the Is one rules, of the wishes really. no guns? They're things like <laughs> to have a knee-length tunic so that she could hunt. and uh, I think Dave Bautista wore one of those. To rule all the mountains and to have the ability to help women in the pains of childbirth. Wow. One of the rules, the actual rules of the membership, is no photography or video allowed. It's and Sophia Batella's character has, has oh, she's cameras like, in yeah. her eyes. and has implants, yeah. So that she can... Uh... Which is very, very Gibson-esque, very Neuromancer, I felt. Right. Um, That's true, yeah. But again, it's another sort of loose end where you think, oh... It al- almost, at the beginning, I was thinking, there are a bunch of criminals in an enclosed space, uh, Suicide Squad, this is how you do it. Mm. This could be really good. Criminal and Die Hard. We almost want to see more of those characters. I have a question for you both. Do you think this film is a piece of science fiction? Yes, but it's very idea-based, and it is set in... It looks to the future with the future. Um, 3D printed organs. That's kind of... Well, science fiction true. is... Science fiction. Just, science fiction is taking a look into the future, using current ideas and saying where things could go. That's really yeah, like so the, the sort of... It's the got very to be some kind of prediction. prediction. Quite often it's this about... Is, it, 
a prediction about sort of a prediction how, about society and where society will go about us yes. individually mm. and collectively, and rather than just being about technology. I think. Well, there are quite a few nods to Guardians of the Galaxy. I felt in it weirdly. Well, him being Captain Obvious for, for one. But it's I know. But then this is this a question of is this just Dave Bautista going for a part that he knows he's going to be able to play well? Well, I'm probably just Much seeing like Blade, but the other one was the fact that she has the. Yeah, she's quite a bit retro, Mrs. Thomas, isn't she? Oh, well, the, she mu- the, the music thing. Vinyl, she has the, the cassette tape. The cassette tape that she did, that's uh, Which true, she plays. Yeah. The music was great, isn't it? And he, the guy who does the music, he did yeah. the music for quite a lot of people, like for Solaris. And, yeah. It's Cliff Martinez. Yes. I love yeah. Cliff Martinez. And recently, Marty Campbell, good old Marty Campbell, really? on The Foreigner. He did the music on The Foreigner. He did the music on The Foreigner. Yeah. That was great. I didn't realise until the credits came up at the end that it was Cliff Martinez. Right. The whole time I was listening to it thinking, this is familiar and I love it. Yeah. And yes, it's just like the Solaris remake is a Cliff Martinez soundtrack, which it I good absolutely adore. The, the soundtrack worked exceptionally well for the tone the film was going for. That sort of, that thriller dread. I felt it made the scenes more exciting to the point where... I didn't really care what was happening in the scenes, but I wasn't bored. Following on from the fact that the director said that, you know, brings Agatha Christie into this, I didn't really think this was a science fiction film at all. I thought this was a essentially a thriller and fair enough it had the veneer of you know it was set in a near future world but I didn't really think this was the, the point of this film for me wasn't to say this is what I think the future's going to look like this was a mystery it was a thriller it was it was an Agatha mm. Christie uh, and you had your with it with all of those trappings the small enclosed mm. space characters put together and the motivations that we don't really know and the rules the 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 thing that allows everything to fall apart when the rules are broken, everything's going to go to hell. I guess you could like... be right because some of the uh, marketing for this film has a kind of hard-boiled or noirish bent to it, and some of it are basically uh, uh, remixed uh, Raymond Chandler novels. It's an interesting mix of genres. Yes, I really w- this, this this is the big thing of this film. I think it could have been so much better than it actually is. It's a, it's a missed in the opportunity. Right direction it's in a that it's a low-budget. Unique world, uh, you know, he's gone on a limb to make this, I suppose, and it's unfortunate that it hasn't quite taken. Maybe a lot of that is just finding the damn film um, because yeah. we had a problem. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did wonder, and I was, I've obviously, well, I was uh, watching it in London where it wasn't wasn't so difficult to find screenings, but I did think when I when I walked into my screening and saw there were three other people there, I was thinking, oh wow, I wonder if the guys were actually going to find a uh, a screening of this film to to see. Well, we were similarly well, the only, almost the only people there. I mean, it and has, there was nobody there. The film has uh, j- uh, under seven thousand ratings on IMDb at the moment. A question I um, wonder is how much of this reception of like the, the lack of people that have come to see it is directly related to the review aggregate websites mm. giving this a. I think this Rotten Tomato score is something, but it's about fifty one, fifty two percent. This type of film gets hurt by those aggregator websites. I mean, mm. the average Marvel movie gets a score of about ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes, mm. and it's very safe. Delivers the moment that you're expecting and that's enough for thumbs up from basically every reviewer mm. and then you have a film like this which is definitely trying to do something slightly original slightly different and because it aims a little higher thumbs down thumbs down thumbs down and, uh, and as a result this film is going to be seen as a commercial failure mm. and people are not going to think well let's make another let's have another well, crack at I doing this original film I kind of want to champion it, champion it basically on principle yes. Yes. but I so, imagine yeah. that most movie critics would be in the same camp as us individually they'd be thinking I'm glad mm. that films like this are being made I'm glad that people are trying. Um, uh, first time director. He did, uh, 
a music video for um, Father John Misty. Mm. Uh, he was thanked in the credits. Yes, previously of the Fleet Foxes, so that's yeah. Josh Tillman. And there's, yeah, it's a quite an interesting music video, some sort of split screen use and so on. But, I can um, see him doing good music videos. Yeah. I think he wanted, he said something about um, wanting to make a carpenter film uh, okay. with a kind of Korean style that'd, direction that'd to it. Cool. I feel like this guy, like maybe his next film might blow us away. Usual uh, way to wrap up then, gentlemen. Uh, Jules, would you recommend this film to our listeners? It depends. If you enjoy sci-fi, then I'd say yes. Uh, I'd, I'd probably call it a maybe not best to watch in the cinema, but definitely watch on Netflix. I'd Rob, say it's a worthwhile you... experience. Yeah, certainly a bit of fun, and I'd probably give it 3.5 on TripAdvisor. Nice. Uh, so well done, Drew Pierce. No shots fired across your bowels uh, today. We, no. uh, we, we, we love your work. Write to us. Write to us, please. And on that, uh, that's the end of this episode of uh, Once Upon a Time in Some Guy's Parents' House. We'll be back, preferentially not in such swelteringly hot weather, uh, in this guy's parents' house again soon. Thanks very much for listening. You know how it's episode four? Ah. Does that, could this be the first one now? Ooh, let's say that in the chronology. That makes Tomb Raider episode one. Is that, is that appropriate? I'm confused. What do you mean? Phantom Menace. Or oh, the TripAdvisor Was it a Star Wars joke? No, because it was Hotel, isn't it? Hotel Artemis. What? But what does that have to do um, with it being the fourth one? Oh, no, I meant my 3.5 uh, TripAdvisor joke. Oh, no, it fell completely flat for me. Are we still recording?